The film which you are about to hear discussed is an account of the tragedy when the feeling's gone and you can't go on a tragedy, which befell a group of four podcasters, in particular Stephen Moore and their less pretty co-hosts. It is all the more tragic that they were young at some point in the distant past, but as they lived very, very, very long lives, they could not have expected but they did wish to see much of the mad and macabre as they were to see committed to film. For them, a fucking freezing midday podcast became a fever dream of sweaty boys and slabs of meat. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre podcasts in the annals of history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Something is trying to get inside my body, and you want to sleep with me. Give me those shoes, they're mine, give them back to me. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jockstrap? It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. What have you done to its eyes? I see no manhood between your legs. You're going to need death now. <laughs> the living dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Get away from her, you bitch! It was an asylum! And it was hell! Twenty years of pure hell! The devil wins sometimes. What's that like to live viciously? They're here. They're all gonna laugh at you! To a new world of gods and monsters. So, welcome to Screaming Queen's podcast. I am the host for this evening. And Stephen Moore, and I have my fellow guests who can introduce themselves from a distance. Hello, I'm John Larkin. Hello, I'm Mars Infinity. What happened was true. most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. as real, just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. So the general plot of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, in case you've been living under a rock and you have not seen this, it's five friends, Sally, Franklin, Kirk, Pam, and Jerry, road trip across Texas. They stop off at a graveyard where their granddad is buried after news breaks of a series of grave robbings that's been uncovered. 
They then have a series of encounters that have since become cliches in the horror genre, including Harbingers of Death, run-down petrol stations, old empty houses in the middle of nowhere, and chainsaws, meat hooks, and mealtime drag soon ensues. <laughs> I'm guessing we've all seen this one before. Yes, just yes. one sort of time. Yes. yes. General feelings, How where does this rank amongst the greats? Um, for me, it ranks really highly. Um, it's like it's but it's weird because it's like one of those films that you've seen so many times that you kind of forget how important it is and you forget how good it is. No. So whenever I watch it, I'm I'm always surprised by it in a way. No matter how many times I watch it, I always surprise myself with how visceral and real it it feels. There's some moments where. You know, the set pieces and the the reactions to things, which I'm sure we'll come on to, are very very real. There's no sort of um, there's no sort of sanitizing the the sort of the, the physicality of it all at all. Yeah. Um, so, and for something made in the, the early seventies, I think that in some ways that feels quite surprising. Yeah, I was thirteen when the remake came out, so I actually watched the laugh first. Okay. Because I watched that at like a sleepover and was traumatized by it. <laughs> like, genuinely. Traumatized. Especially, you know, when in this sequel, we have, well, the remake, we have a scene where it's like the real police camera footage and you catch like a glimpse of his mask. Oh, yeah. yeah. That image terrified me as a child. But I didn't ever see the actual original till like, I was in mean, 20, probably 20. And I just kind of blew her out of the wall for me. I realized that this is something that I'd always thought I'd seen and I hadn't. And I was shocked yeah. by how good it was. Yeah. It was quite late on for me seeing it, though, because um, it was actually banned in the UK until 1998. So I I didn't see it as a kid. I, I saw it as a, like, I'd say I was probably about, I was, I was 17 when it was actually released on cinemas again. But I would have been probably about twenty one, twenty two, something like that, when I actually finally watched it. Um, so I, yeah, it, it was a funny one. Really, I remember it coming out, and I think it had the initial re-release when it, the ban was lifted. But then it came out again on cinema a few years later, and I remember it was one of those films, a bit like The Exorcist, you know, when it's been so hyped up and it's been banned and all that sort of stuff. So when people go to see it, there's always the inevitable. Uh, disappointment in it because people just think it's going to be completely traumatized by this demonic film, but it's actually still just a horror movie. So, so I remember I had like a lot of friends who were like, "Oh, it's not that good. It's not that scary, and there's no, there's not much blood and all that sort of stuff." But I feel like it's a film that gets better every time you watch it. One hundred percent. Every time I've watched it, I feel like I've took away different things from it. Yeah. I still feel like there's bits that I've noticed and different subtext that you kind of come through. And because it's so basic of a story, like on the surface, that it's actually quite impressive how much they managed to cram in. Say? How much do you say with it? Yeah. I think I I didn't see it till till late, probably around the same time that you saw it, John. Um, But I do remember being a kid of like... 10, 11, and we've talked about this experience before, sort of going into the video shop and, and just and looking at the covers 
mm. did they choose and did they do shock? And this is one of the ones that stuck in my mind from then. And it did, it sort of disturbed me at the time, but it really sort of stuck with me as a film that I wanted to see. And it had that view. I'm sure it had that iconic image of um, Leatherface from near the end, well, from the end of the film um, on the cover. And it just sort of intrigued me. I think I probably thought from from reading it, I half thought it was something real. It was like a, a, a real story. Um, but just yeah, I remember just having that you know, it's one of those it's one of those films that 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 I remember from that experience because we didn't have a video player, so the closest I got was looking at the covers in the video oh, <laughs> in the video show. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, to be fair, though, to be fair, that was that's often more fulfilling than watching the actual films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one had the great tagline of um, "Who will survive and what will be left of them." It's just it's got, that's one of the best taglines ever. I, I think um, the opening you do to this is genuinely—it's so convincing that even now, like when I watch it, I still have to tell myself, "Yeah, this isn't actually based on something." It's based on Ed Gein, but once again, Ed Gein is not a serial killer. We do not say the word serial killer. <laughs> yeah, he's not a serial killer. It was two people, wasn't it? Two that he was convicted of. Yeah, and he never picked up a chainsaw either. He made a nice nipple belt, so you have to give him credit. He made a nipple, he had, he made a nipple belt. He had a box full of vulvas. My my favorite touch of Ed Gein was um you know you know um a draw you know a blind that you pull down on the window he had one of those and uh, the the pulley at the end of the drawstring was human lips he had an eye for design didn't he yeah, yeah he's having his own show these days <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah, so it, it does touch it up that way doesn't it Stephen so it opens with that the, with the scrolling disclaimer that this is yeah. based on real events and all that. Yeah, it's just, just such a great opener. That was John Larroquette, who I found out today, um, plays the bad guy in Richie Rich, which is just like I can't <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite films as well ever. <laughs> and he got paid with a joint, which is just so seventies. That is amazing. It really, is. it's possibly more than some of the others got paid. To be fair, yeah, definitely. They were all middle Texas, like actors, local actors. They got no money off it because they got a, like a um, percentage of the takings, but then didn't realize that there was someone who owned the pairs, people who owned it, so they were only getting a percentage of a percentage of a percentage. Oh, I know. It's terrible. Um, Gunnar Hansen, who plays Leatherface, says his first royalties paycheck was $47. God. And you think and after, this was the after the hell that they went through making it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think that open, the opening credits is a, a stroke of genius, isn't it? So you get that like the, the the disclaimer coming up that it's based on a true story and all that, and you see lots of people emulating now, don't they? Like Rob Zombie and people like that they copied that that sort of style of opening, um, but it always sort of fails because those are just shit films, whereas this is an amazing film. Um, but I love that uh, the annals of, of American history always makes me think of anal, and yeah. obviously. I have to go there with that as well. <laughs> Not <laughs> <else> but anal. <laughs> so you know the opening shots with the like the, the horrible whine of the camera and you get these bursts of the of the bits of corpse that are getting photographed. Um who's who do you think has taken the photographs? 
I think it was police um, investigators, but maybe not. Well, I always thought that, but then this time when I watched it, there's like a grunt, like animalistic grunting sounds, like the bodies are being posed and, and, and moved. I wondered whether it's actually the family. Like, yeah, we see one of them with the camera later on. Yeah, he's got like, he has like trophy pictures, doesn't he, of things? Yeah. I just wonder whether it was actually the family taking pictures. Okay. And doesn't he, doesn't he, get, doesn't he get told off when he appears at the house? In connection with the, um, in connection with that that corpse display, doesn't the the doesn't the like the father figure give him a slap and tell him off? Well, you know, maybe he's just got a flair for um, you know, creating sculptures and artwork and stuff, and he's had his like creativity stifled by his dad, yeah. so he has to go out there and improvise. <laughs> <laughs> Using the available materials. <laughs> Outside it all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The chaise long made of like skeletons was one thing, but when he tried to bring in the sculpture, that was too much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that first shot then is the um, it's like decomposed bodies, isn't it? Obscenely displayed in a graveyard with like the legs spread. Um, it's just like horribly perverse, isn't it? Grave robbing in Texas is this hour's top news story. An informant led officers of the Muerto County Sheriff's Department to a cemetery just outside the small rural Texas community of Newt early this morning. Officers there discovered what appeared to be a grisly work of art, the remains of a badly decomposed body wired to a large monument. A second body was found in a ditch near the perimeter of the cemetery. Subsequent investigation has revealed at least a dozen empty crypts, and it's feared more will turn up as the probe continues. Deputies report that in some instances, only parts of a corpse had been removed. The head, or in some cases, the extremities removed, the remainder of the corpse left intact. Evidence indicates the robberies have occurred over a period of time. Sheriff Jesus Maldonado refused to give details in the ghoulish case and said only that he did have strong evidence linking the crime to elements outside the state. Area residents have reportedly converged on the cemetery, fearing the remains of relatives have been removed. No suspects are in custody as he- I love it. it's like bathed in like a dirty orange glow, isn't it? Like the whole film is. And you see like the uh, the sort of decaying body and the dust of uh, the dust blowing against it as well. It's like totally setting its soul out about what this film is. It's, yeah. you know, it's a film about death, basically. Um, and it's like, as opening shots from horror movies go, it's really iconic for, for very good reason, I think. I think that this first, like, third of the film is probably one of the best openings to anything ever. Yeah. Like, I just, yeah. right up until maybe the second kill, I think yeah. it's a sheer perfection. Then I go off a little bit and then I come back to it at the end. But like, yeah. That first bit, just some of the best openings from that. You see that kind of scene and it's all slimy and they're like melting to get the camera flashes. And then yeah. the news story, like talking about the grave robbings in the background. Yeah. And then it's like um, the orange moon in the sky. Yeah. It's just a hard cut to like the armadillo. Like, yeah. this is all just fantastic filmmaking. It is. It's fabulous. It's fabulous. It's Toby Hooper's second film, isn't it? His debut was a film called Egg Shells, like a studenty arty film. And then he wanted to crack Hollywood with a, with something that was a very specific genre, like exploitation. So 
that's why he says out to maintenance. And it's it's mad to see. It's mad, isn't it? Because it is so. A lot of it is so fucking well done. Yeah. I think it was just a solid film. The original idea was to start on a dead dog's eye. Oh. <laughs> it was to start on a dead dog's eye and then pan out. And then um, when they went location scouting, they found an actual dead horse lying by the side of the road. Yeah, so they were like, wow, act of God, you know, this is this is meant to be, like, we'll shoot from the dead horse and that'll be the opening shot. But then apparently, like, the crew were too squeamish because the horse stunk and was covered in flies. So they just left it and then that's why the effects guy came up with the, they found, like, a squashed armadillo and stuffed it and used that instead. <laughs> that armadillo was stuffed. Yeah. armadillo that was, like, he learned, he taught himself taxidermy, didn't he? Yeah. This guy, the guy who did the set design, had commitment because he literally went and hunted down bones from everywhere local. Oh, yeah. Amazing. He did all of this stuff himself. So we have Sally, our final girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she's all right. I don't, I'm not trusting Sally. I really, really like her. I really, really like her. <laughs> and his um, undone shirt with hair. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I like Pam a lot. I think Pam and her astrology is fun. I quite like Pam. Yeah, Pam's great. And then you have um, Leo Sayer, Disco Stew. Yes, Jerry. Disco Stew, yeah. And uh, I'm f- so f- if, uh, what do we think of Franklin, the brother? <laughs> Oh, he's so annoying. I, I hate him. I wished he was killed much earlier than he actually was. In the last couple of watches, it's changed a lot for me. After the first few, I hate him. I was yeah. like, one obnoxious little shit. But the more I watched it, the more I've kind of realised he was kind of right, though. Like, Well, yeah, I've gone on a journey with Franklin. I've gone on a journey because I fucking hated him for the majority of my first few watches. But now, when I watch it now, I just think, they're all horrible. <laughs> None of them are particularly nice. And basically, they drag Franklin out there in his chair and just keep leaving him. And they just, just keep ditching him in places and like walking away and being like, yeah, we're going to go and swim in the waterhole. You're too fat and in the wheelchair, so you stay here. Um, and he spends the whole time going, oh, you know, something's wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong, and everybody kind of ignores her, and then they all get killed. Because, <laughs> like, Sally as well, who's who's the final girl, uh, she has never... There's not one moment where she's nice to her brother. She kind of almost half-heartedly tries, but it still sounds like she's sick of his shit. She's sick she's of his doing... shit. Like, I don't want to push your chair through the woods, sorry. And then when she's... She ends up doing it, but she's, like, really under duress. Yeah. I feel like she did deliberately go through the twigs just to be dramatic, though. <laughs> yeah, and just so, so he get cut as well. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm liking Sally more and more the more I think about it. I didn't realise how Franklin is kind of the main character at 90% of this film. It's funny how um, I think Franklin and Pam are the only two that have got any real sort of... Uh, they've, got, they've done any character work, you know, like mm. Pam with... Pam with her horoscopes and Franklin with his, you know, well being annoying really, and his and his um his 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 anxieties and his 
you know, the fact that he sort of sees things for the yard and no one will listen, whereas the others are just basically fodder. And even even Sally is really, even though she's the survivor. I couldn't tell you what Sally was like. So did you know William Vale, who played Kirk, is, uh, went on to be the set decorator on Gilmore Girls? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but we open up with like the, the van pulls over so that Franklin can get wheeled out onto the sides and go for the piss in a can. And yeah. the truck goes past and he rolls down the hill and gets piss all over him and yeah, what like a, a rough way to start for the characters? That's your character introductions, like. Oh no! Yeah, I know it's horrible, and um, I I always think that the back of that van must stink. Oh, it's so hot. Everyone's sweaty. Franklin is now covered in his own piss. Um, it's just so uncomfortable and claustrophobic. I, I do like when you get to the graveyard, the harbinger of death, the little drunk man on the floor. That it, he's like just so good. I love him the way he's like things happen around here. They don't talk about. Yeah. Oh yeah. And again, it's only Franklin who pays attention. He goes to check on Granddad's body. Don't they? Like, let's make sure Granddad wasn't one of those corpses that was dug up and desecrated. But luckily, uh, he wasn't. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that. I love the, the idea of, of like a die out. Let's go and make sure our granddad hasn't been dug up. You need to know these things. So after they've been to the cemetery and they carry on on the road, you get all that interesting backstory, don't you? About about the their uncle working at the slaughterhouse, mm. which is really yeah. good. Franklin kind of just doesn't know what's appropriate to say to people and what isn't. Yeah, and I kind of. He talks about how these sledgehammer people, like the cars, well, and people, um, cars to death, and they, yeah. it wouldn't be enough to kill them. So they'd have to hit them and hit them again. Sometimes they'd skin them before they were dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And then now they have the steel pressure gun that does it, that like shoots in and out and in and out and in and out. Yeah. It's really graphic. It's really graphic, but it's also sort of laying, it's sort of laying the foundations and, and sort of setting up the world of the film, isn't it? Because you've got that idea that you've got the idea of uh, people killing animals for a living, um, but then you get that sort of the seeds sown about how uh, you know the the onslaught of industry has meant that those people aren't really needed anymore, so that they're not needed to be there like whacking things over the heads anymore. Um, so it's kind of laying it all out for you. And this scene in particular kind of cements my idea that this is vegan propaganda. This film might have been written by me and I just forgot. Maybe it is. is to- was Toby Hooper a vegan or a vegetarian? Because it is that conflation, isn't it, of you, the, the morality of killing animals and how visceral it is, and then actually the most visceral thing that we get is the killing of humans, isn't it? Yeah. He, yeah, I don't think he was at the time, but I think he became a vegetarian. Oh, did he? Really? It lasted, but I know he did for a bit at least. And then while they're talking about it, you're getting shots of the cattle waiting to be slaughtered. It's it's really it's really awful the way they do it. Mm. It's just just something about this film that constantly makes me feel like I can smell it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the film, the whole film feels like you've got a dirty old jumper on and you're in a hundred degree heat. Yeah. You know, it makes it feel itchy and sticky and, like, everything stinks. You just want to get a shower. I like um, whenever we see 
because there's no actual real score in the film. It's kind of industrial sounds. Yeah. But whenever we're outside of the van, seeing the long shots, there's like next to no sound at all. Yeah. It's just completely yeah. silent, just like a bit of wind and fan noise. Mm. It just makes it feel like you're literally looking in at these people from a distance making these mistakes as opposed yeah. to being involved in it. Well, it just reminds me of how small they are, aren't they? It's like America is so vast that just Texas is so vast. And that area of Texas, that rural area, is so vast. So it's, it's just showing you how big that is and how small and insignificant these people are in the middle of it who are going to be... Well, first of all, there's the people who are like the Sawyer family who have just mm. been discarded uh, and left to, to their own devices. And there's, then we've got Sally and the gang who are who are, who are going to be discarded. You know, they're completely vulnerable. And those big, those big long shots with no sound just just make you see how alienated how alienated they are. Yeah, completely. So, um, would we pick up a hitchhiker on the side of the street? Because we might end in Texas Chainsaw, or we might end up in Showgirls. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which really is it? Nobody. <laughs> very few people hitchhike these days, and I think probably very few people. Would pick up a hitchhiker now, but actually, it was like you know, that was really common then. Yeah, I remember being on. I remember being on holiday with my mum and dad and picking up hitchhikers a couple of times. Oh my um, god! Wow, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely not. That's horrifying. I like the idea. I do like the idea of it, but I think it's so unusual now. I would question. I'd be more likely to question the motives, but if I, if I existed in the seventies, I definitely I would have. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say I saw a hitchhiker about three or four weeks ago, just around the corner on um, on Riverside Drive by by Festival Gardens. Oh well. There was a girl stood at the side of the road with a sign saying I can't remember what it was, but and she was thumbing she was thumbing a lift on Riverside Drive. It's John Waters. Hitchhiked very recently, a few years ago, and wrote a book about hitchhiking across America, and it's a really good book. Yeah, but it's John Waters, so I'd probably stop for John Waters if he was on the side of the road. Oh, we'd all stop for John Waters, wouldn't we? Yeah. So they pick up the hitchhiker because they're insane. Hitchhiker? Should we pick him up? Oh, yeah, man. Pick him up, he'll asphyxiate out there. What does he look like? Well, the son of a bitch is going to smell just like the slaughterhouse. Oh, give the guy a break. He can sit by Franklin. What do you want to do? Oh, he's weird looking. No. Well, I think we just picked up Dracula. Where are you headed, man? South. You work at that place? Oh, no. How did you get stuck way out here? I, I was at the slaughterhouse. I got an uncle that works at the slaughterhouse. Hey, my, my brother worked there. My my grandfather, too. <laughs> my family's always been in me. My whole family of Dracula's. Hey, man, did you go in that slaughter room or whatever they call it? The place where they shoot the cattle in the head with that big air gun thing. Oh, that, that, that gun's no good. I was in there once with my uncle. No way. 
sledge. <laughs> See, that was better. They died better that way. How come? I, I thought the gun was better. Oh, no, no. With the new way people put on a job. You do that? Look. I was the killer. <laughs> Damn. They don't send the heads away. You took these, huh? Yeah. Franklin. See, they make head cheese. They... They take the head and they boil it, except for the tongue. And they scrape all the flesh away from the bone. Everything, they don't throw nothing away. They, they use the jowls muscles and the, and the eyes and the ligaments and everything. And the, and the, like this. For the nose and the gums and all the flesh and they boil it down into a, a, a big jelly of fat. Wow, I, I didn't know that's what was in that stuff. It's really good. You like it? Oh, yeah, sure. I, I like it. Uh, it's good. It sounds horrible. Is it possible we can talk about something else? Uh, you'd probably like it if you didn't know what was in it. No, I wouldn't, and I wish you'd stop talking about it. So he's really weird, isn't he? I mean, he's he's completely out there, um, and he likes to sort of self harm for fun to show people. Mm-hmm. He's like obsessed. He's so obsessed with what happens when a knife touches skin or flesh of any kind. Um, and he, he uh, so he sort of just starts cutting himself in front of them. Um, and then is that before or after he takes a photograph of them to get money off them? Or I believe. Yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah. So then he tries to, yeah. He's like, I know, I'll take your photograph and then you'll give me some money for it. And I'm like, no, you're all right. Yeah. It's at that point you think, oh, this, that. It's at that point where you think, oh, this is, this is where it's going to start to go horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, come home to my family to have some head cheese. Yes. <laughs> Which was the working title as well. I know. It's so it's it's such a horrible, horrible term. And it just makes me think of like smeg. I didn't think it could get more disgusting, but you just somehow made it worse. But the, it just makes me think of cock cheese, totally. Mm. Um, well. So head cheese head cheese is like the jelly, isn't it, around around the meat that you get from the heads of cattle or pig. Right, yeah. so it's like the stuff around the brains. And then they mush right. it up for you. They mush yeah. it up and make it into like a spread. So he's like, right, I'm going to cut myself, I'm going to take a photograph of you and ask you for money, and then I'm going to invite you back to my house for some head cheese. And then when, he's like, when they say no, he's uh, he's unimpressed. So what is it that he does there to start like a fire? I, I never quite get it. He pulls gunpowder out of his bag. Oh, the gunpowder, right. It makes like a little mini explosion thing. Yeah. And then cuts Franklin's arm. Yeah. <laughs> See, I definitely think throughout this entire film, Franklin is meant to be the direct parallel of the Sawyers. Well, I think he reminds me of Leatherface, definitely. Because he has similarities with Leatherface. But also, when he kicked this hitchhiker out of the van, he immediately like blows raspberries. At the car, and later on, Franklin's brown raspberries. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The hitcher gets cut, and then he cuts him, and it's like 
kind of like a bloodbathy kind of vibe that just seems to be deliberate playing off of the two characters. Do you think Franklin, because he's like seen as an outsider in his group of pe- in his group of friends, do you think he he's meant to have more of an understanding of of that family as well? Because when when he's the one who sees all the signs, isn't he? Basically, he's the one who's like, we should get away from here. Mm. Do you think he's meant to sort of have a, a more of a um, understanding because they're they're sort of outsiders who are treated as second class citizens the way he is? Maybe. I fully think so. I think he's meant to be kind of in tune with it and almost seeing that they're not that different to the way they are. Yeah. And I think yeah. he's picking up on it for that reason. So after after they, they boot the the uh, the hitchhiker out of the car at the van and, and sort of tear off into the distance, I love that uh, you know the bit where Pam decides to cheer everyone up by reading the horoscopes. <laughs> Long range plans upsetting persons around you could make this disturbing and unpredictable day. The events in the world are not doing much either to cheer one up. That's just perfect. Frankly, I think that'll be all right. Every town. Just Oh, yeah, we should have seen this coming because, you know, maybe yeah. he said so. Oh. <laughs> and she's like, persons around you could make this a disturbing and eventful day. Oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, and I love when she reads uh, Sally's horoscope and she says, there are moments when we cannot believe what is happening is really true. Pinch yourself and you might find out that it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sally. <laughs> Sally, yes. So then they go to the petrol station to try yeah. and fill up, which I just love the design of this petrol station. I love that it says we slaughter barbecue and it's got yeah. a vintage Coca-Cola machine, which I'm guessing wasn't vintage at the time, but it looks vintage to me. <laughs> yeah, I love this whole section. I love the look of it. I feel like you could take you could take a, um, a screenshot of that petrol station and have it as a work of art. It's like a... Mm. It's like a flip side of like an Edward Hopper Americana painting. Yeah. It's like this, this like the, the shitty underbelly version. Hey, you know where the old Franklin place is? 
old Franklin place? Yeah, it's an old two-story rock house and it's sitting up on a hill. I think you have to turn on that road back there, but I'm not real sure. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe I seen something like that up that way. When I look, you, you boys don't want to go mess around an old house. But those things is dangerous. You're liable to get hurt. We'll, we'll be careful. You don't want to go fooling around other folks' property. <laughs> Some folks don't like it, and they don't mind showing you. Oh, my father owns it. And that's your daddy's place, huh? Yeah. Uh, look, uh, I got some good barbecue here. Why don't you fellas stick around here a while? The transport will be by in a little while. Yeah, you want to get some barbecue? Yeah. Them girls now, they, they don't want to go messing around no old house. Best you stick around here. You know, we should have asked him if there was another gas station around. Don't you think he would have told us if there was? Man, it wouldn't hurt to ask, you know? Okay, I'll go in. Damn it, the hell, we should have stuck back there for gas. This is where we get a great shot, isn't it, of the bacon sun from above? Mm. It's, like, it's like it adds to that oppressive, claustrophobic, sticky feeling. That was it as well. They would, um, if the petrol station is got no petrol or gas in America. Yeah. And I, I just find it fascinating that that is like a real thing that used to be quite common in America, especially at this time, because they got like all countries stop exporting their petrol and gas to America because they'd been involved in wars that they didn't approve of. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There, was a whole, there was a whole oil crisis, but it also made me think just how. Um, how isolated they are. That yeah. you know that you know, the 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 oil deliveries, the petrol deliveries are probably centered on places like Houston and, and Dallas, mm. and actually Texas is so vast and it's such an isolated area that the deliveries haven't reached that area yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you just think they're so. It just adds another layer of just how vulnerable and isolated they are from the world yeah totally i think it's very hard to comprehend like the size of places like america and australia and that 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 is just probably a common thing because we can get to liverpool to london in a couple of hours and it's that vibe isn't it that you get it's that impression that you get that the people who live in those sorts of rural areas are generally um, you know, labor. You know, laborers who've been laid off and are sort of considered to be, you know, oh, they're not that important. They'll get it when it's ready. You know, they're just sort of left because they don't they don't need it as much as the people who live in the big cities. Hmm. I find it very weird. Yeah, you know, there's like that random man that cleans the cardboard. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Again, he's just there. He's like actually just a little hard worker. He's going back home. <laughs> He doesn't clean the blood off the back. Well, does, is he in with the family, though? Well, we don't see him again, so, you know. No. I did wonder that, because I, I did wonder when, when they get to talking about the blood on the sides of the car, on the sides of the van, um, have they been marked for death? Have they been marked for slaughter, branded like the cattle? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, so they, they drive up the road to the old house after getting some directions. 
which used to be their family home. Yeah. Which was it's called the Franklin House, even though the surname is Hardestry. And Franklin's his first name. So. And then you, they all start exploring upstairs of their house and leave um, our Franklin downstairs. Yeah. I wouldn't be going upstairs with those spiders. Because spiders nest in the corner of one of the rooms is one of the most disturbing parts of this whole thing. Kirk and Pam are too busy going off to find the watering hole. They just want to have fun, don't they? I do feel he Franklin is so obnoxious, and I, you I sort of get what you're saying in terms of yeah, they're, they're mean to him, and it's no yeah, it's no wonder. But I think yeah, it's natural that people would just switch off because it's just unrelenting. There's no sort of break from it. You never get anything likable <laughs> or any no. connection between him and and the others. He never makes any effort to sort of. Know, make them laugh, or you know, <laughs> he just constantly whinges and moans. Yeah, no, I wouldn't really be listening to you either. <laughs> no, he is an arsehole, he's an absolute arsehole. Yeah, totally. I think he's justified in his thoughts, but I think he's been that jaded for that long that he's also causing his own problems at this point as well. Yeah. He's made himself unlikable because he's been treated as someone less, and then he can't see past his own nose. This is a really charming line, isn't it? When so Sally, so um, Kirk and Pam find what used to be the water hole, and they have to go down a ditch to get to it. And Pam says, "Sally used to carry Franklin down here when he was little." And Kirk says, "Franklin was never little." <laughs> <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> it's like, um, but Kirk has got his shirt open the whole time, so you know we forgive him. We forgive him anything. He's so gorgeous. I love his hair. I love him. <laughs> I'm literally obsessed with him. Yeah, well, unfortunately, Leatherface gets to him first, Stephen. He hammers him first. Yeah. So, um, so they, they, this is where they hear the generator, isn't it, at the neighbouring house, and they sort of go off looking for gasoline. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, walk, they pass, like, trees that are, like, adorned with people's belongings, and they don't hear any alarm bells whatsoever. Yeah. Which <laughs> graveyard. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, car graveyard, you know, that doesn't mean there's a serial killer family here at all. And then when they, <laughs> they find a human tooth on the porch and decide it's still a good idea to go in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is where the um, film becomes a, like a home invasion film, but in reverse. Every torture. <laughs> and I fully believe that he is just killing in self-defense for at least these first couple of murders. The thing about Leatherface, I mean, Gunnar Hansen gives such an amazing physical performance, doesn't he? Because mm. how how do you act with like layers of masks on your head? But he still does because he still conveys the fact that Leatherface is this terrifying beast of a man who will kill you at the drop of a hat but at the same time he's absolutely terrified of everything yeah completely i i think he watched all that he, he in the most 70s thing ever he based it on like non-verbal people with like element issues and went to an insane asylum kind of place and just i think it was actually i think it was actually more of a special school oh was it like okay i read it as being more extreme than that <laughs> Well, I, I think I said he went to like a school. I mean, he describes it as a school for retarded people um, because obviously it's the 70s. But um, 
I think it's more of a school than anything that he went to and was just he was just allowed to just go in and watch people and then start mimicking them. <laughs> but I think it would have, like, have been like a special school, but it'd be like I think I've told this story before about how um as a child in the seventies we were taken from school because Mughal had quite Mughal um, through the centuries has been famous for having asylums and stuff. So it's got Ashworth Hospital now. But we had okay. a giant yeah, there was a giant special school um where children with learned disabilities and other disabilities were, were there and we were taken on a trip um from school to go and see the disabled people to feel sorry for them. And we just sat in the we just sat in the room where they were and watched them. There was no interacting with them or encouraged to sort of talk or take part in activities together. Um, it was literally just to watch them. So you know, that was that that was reflection of the attitudes of you know, at the time. You hid them away. You, you know, and they were just sort of you know, they were just figures to yeah. to contain and, and be looked at like like animals in a zoo. Wow. That is dark shit, isn't it? Yeah. That sort of reminds me of um, the film My Friend Dharma, and it's you know, it's based on um, friend of Dharma, a school friend of Dharma's yeah. book about his time at school with Dharma, and Dharma um, does what they call spazzing out, and he, you know, and he really vividly oh, cool. um, yeah. mimics sort of, People with sort of um, epilepsy, wasn't it? You know, epilepsy and having fits and and yeah. um, just sort of distort you know, distorted limbs and stuff. It's it's really it's really it's really weird. It's just from it just talking about Toby Hooper just doing doing that for the inspiration for the for the film just reminds me a bit of that. It's just so. Yeah, it's just strange, isn't it? Just so dehumanising. It is, yeah. I suppose it is just the sort of symbol of the time that the film mm-hmm. was made. Um, so, um, so where were we then? So it's Kirk, isn't it? Comes in to the house. Yeah. He, he enters the house and it's like, I love that everything is grey and dark and old and then it's just that red wall with the text on you know? it. Yeah. Such... Just the cinematography in this entire thing is just incredible. But that little piece is genius. And he kind of, he goes to run towards it as he hears the pig noises. Yeah. Which it's I, so innocent in a way, isn't it? Because it's just like, you know, he's thinking, oh, they'll give me, they'll give me some petrol and then we'll drive off and get more petrol, but come back and pay them back with the petrol that we've taken. Yeah. Completely unsuspecting, even though they've seen the tooth on the floor and... All the yeah. stuff from, up, from outside. I like that he's I'm hearing those noises that he just you know, that it doesn't he doesn't it doesn't give him any pause for thought at all. Well, it doesn't it, that doesn't give him any pause for thought, and neither does all of the cowhides hanging from the wall outside the yeah. living room, um, or the uh, yeah, or the the taxidermy and the, the skulls on the wall yeah. <laughs> um, at the source of the noises. But you know what? I suppose that's a really good that's a really good metaphor for how this film and films like it took America by surprise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These films were there to reflect 
the change in America where the um I always think, you know, that, that year there, 1969, was such an important year, wasn't it? Because you had the Vietnam War. You yeah. had um, you had uh, the Manson murders. Mm-hmm. And then uh, within a month of the Manson murders, a month before the Manson murders, was the Stonewall riots as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and So that's like on, on both coasts of America in that summer, terrible, terrible things were, were happening to people. Um, and you know the Stonewall riots were when for me weren't the terrible thing. It was what caused it was what caused yeah. the Stonewall yeah, riots, yeah. the oppression, and all that was what was the terrible thing. But it was like it was the it was that year. I feel like um, that America kinds of has a very harsh wake up call to reality, and then you know from that these films were born. And I feel like this this moment in the film is that Kirk is like the all American boy wandering into someone's house because you know the door wasn't locked. Hmm. Uh, this is an area where people don't have to lock the doors because it's rural and everyone's lovely. Uh, well, no, they're not because you're about to get clubbed over the head with a mallet. No, absolutely. I think I think you're right. That sort of period in the late sixties was like the the shock, most shocking time culturally in America because actually these horrible things have obviously all gone on you know, throughout the history of America, but actually the. The, the delusion that America and American life was wholesome and you yeah it was was it was a you know a rich and, and pleasant land you know, that that veil that allowed that to, to be a, to you know, that delusion and that that picture to be projected were were quite um were quite suddenly torn down in that time where like there was no I feel like, there was no yeah. hope. There was no carrying, you know, no longer being able to carry the illusion that, that yeah. you know, that that war was good and moral, that you know, that that people were free and treated well. You know, you had the whole civil rights movement and the murder of Martin Luther King and Malcolm yeah. X and all those sorts, of, you know, all those sorts of things. Yeah, were there to see very clearly. And JFK as well. Yeah. Um, and, the, uh, this kind of idea of like the end of the hippie area era mm. and like yeah. people coming out of that and then you know these are kind of hippie-esque characters that are literally then exposed to the underbelly of the country that's been abandoned through all these yeah. 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 Cool. it literally hits them over the head yeah, hits them over the head. Clubs them over the head with the message. <laughs> yeah, hits them over your head. But that was like kind of the thing with Ed Gein was that apparently it shocked the country so much because they just couldn't reconcile how this could happen in like mm. what that they started doing lots of investigations into crime rates and yeah going on in the suburbs of America that have been left, and that's where a lot of this kind of things that come to life. And this is the exploration of the go through here. Well, I suppose if you think about like again, when that happens, that was quite, that was shocking. And that was in snowy, rural, lovely Wisconsin and, you know, things like that. They could always sort of not cover it up, but those news stories would die eventually. Mm. Whereas what happens in the sixties was those news stories couldn't die because they were happening to like t- the terrible things that happened because the Manson family. Well, that was a very really, that was a really famous woman who was murdered. Yeah, 
So that was shocking part of that. She was murdered and she was famous and she was pregnant and she was beautiful and pretty and white. And, you know, they couldn't get away from that. JFK was the president who murdered on telly. Um, and the thing, the thing like the Stonewall riots and the civil rights, that was marginalised people actually standing up and saying, we're not taking this shit lying down anymore. So it was, it was literally like, you can't cover this up anymore. This is a melting pot of shit. Oh, and the Vietnam, the Vietnam War, you know, they were they were killing their own young people who were protesting against it in 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 the country. You know, that was a you know, the a, a sort of a movement of you know against war and sort of just gave young people being able to use, be used as sort of cannon fodder for a country. Yeah. Mm. You was much more prominent and much more. You know, it was just you know, it was part of the the mainstream culture, whereas maybe previously you know, there might have been anti-war feeling to some degree, but actually the overall cultural feeling around wars in terms of the First World War or the Korean War or whatever was you know this is your this is the patriotic duty and you get behind it and almost unquestioning. Anybody home? approaches the red wall after hearing like the pig noises um, he kind of trips and stumbles and as he looks up the, we see Leatherface and it kind of like hard zooms in on him just as hits him over the head with a hammer um, his body is still for a second before it starts writhing around still obviously alive in some way with like kind of reactions I'm guessing Convulsions, yeah. Yeah, convulsions. So then he um, he drags him off into the room and slams the door shut in yeah. the most effective couple of moments in anything ever. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's like nothing's happened. <laughs> Hidden away again. Um, but this is the moment which really always grabs me with this film, no matter how many times I watch it, is that moment where Kirk's been killed and that pause of, of of stillness and you think well most horror films people are killed and that's it they just remain still and they'll be dragged off and that's it but this is sort of the element of realism you know he's been smacked in the head with a sledgehammer and no he doesn't die immediately yeah he does go into convulsions and it's almost that that um that sort of visceral, well, it is. It's it's it is very sort of real and distressing in lots of in lots it's of ways. You can't stay so, away from it. Yeah, it's horrible, and it's a complete echo of what Franklin was saying earlier on about yeah how they cattle with the with the mallet and how they would sort of flail about and and stuff and vegan and be skinned alive and all of yeah. that. And you think that's the face of care? The vegan propaganda machine. It is vegan propaganda. 
it's like how different are we to the cattle? We're not. We're the same. We are um, the cattle, but we're not as tasty. Um, I don't know. So we've, tried. we've got that great shot, haven't we? Then the famous, the famous underbutt tracking shot of um, Pam walking towards the house. Mm. It is perfect. It's fantastic. They do a similar one in the garage in the gas station earlier on as well, like a sweeping underbutt tracking shot and I've got to say I don't think it's that people say that it's quite sexist and stuff but they do the same shot with Jerry later on as he's yeah. walking into the house um, she apparently hated it the first time she saw it and then as she as it kind of went on she was like no I love it I think it looks great yeah and like freaking hell why wouldn't you love it like if you're going to be like voyeuristically looked at at least have a great ass and she does so <laughs> Yeah, totally. Um, but it's so she, um, she goes in, and she and and it, this is the bit where she like falls into the living room, and we see the Sawyer's living room for the first time, and it's like completely adorned with animal, animal and human carcasses, furniture, light fittings, decorations made of bones. I just think how much time and effort they put into this. No wonder they spend like an insanely long amount of time panning around that room. Oh, I know, I know. And it was all real carc- uh, animal carcasses, wasn't it? So it really stunk in the heat. Oh, God. Yeah. It's very, it's, 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 um, it also, I think, harkens back to the, um, the hitchhiker and that description of animal slaughter because he, he, he sort of, talk, he talks about nothing being wasted, doesn't he? And you think, yeah. actually, that living room embodies that nothing is wasted. All the bones are made, you know, are used to make furniture. You know, the, the, you know, the skin, the feathers, you know, everything is, you know, everything's used and, and nothing is wasted at all. Yeah, because they can't afford to waste it. And it's actually, you know, at least they are more economical than most people nowadays. Ecological. Well, yeah, then you've got capitalist America throwing shit away, and then the and then these people who they've in effect thrown away. At least they know how to make stuff stretch. Yes, stretch over the lamp chain. Make stuff stretch. Oh. <laughs> um, and then so this awful, awful scene. It's just so horrible where Leatherface appears and and grabs. Pam and he's so big and she's so little and mm. he chases her through through the hallway. She gets out as well, doesn't she, through the screen door, but then he gets her right at the last minute and drags her back in.
the, the choice of letting it get just out of the door before grabbing it, it is genius. Yeah. Um, and he drags it in, and this is the bit where he he uh, we see the meat hook first, and we know where she's going. Mm-hmm. And then he he sort he lifts it up, and the way he places it on that meat hook, and you don't see it, you don't see it go in, but you feel it. My favorite little thing I learned about that was the fact that he deliberately chose her to be wearing a top that didn't have a back on it. Just yeah, it really emphasized. Yeah, yeah, about to see. Oh, awful. And then um, he gives Pam a little bit of pre-dinner cabaret by soaring up her boyfriend in front of her as she yeah. hangs screaming on the hook. Clever face. He kind of looks a bit goofy and like playful in this bit. As he's like, yeah. after he hooks it up, he kind of looks at it and he's like, huh. <laughs> I think it's the first little hint of him being a bit childlike and not as he yeah. was what the character is kind of doing. Yeah, yeah. There's maybe an element of the joy of the hunt as well. You know, I, you always wonder whether he sort of, he knows he's going to catch her, but he almost wants to give her the, um, give her the, the, the feeling that she might just have got out of the house. Mm. Um, and he's sort of, you know, he's, you know, he's going to murder her and, you know, and, and butcher her, but it's almost like a cat want to see that fear and that suffering beforehand as well. And that's like part of part of the pleasure for him. So basically Jerry goes off to look for those guys and leaves um Sally and Franklin, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He goes off to look for them and this scene, uh so the third kill is just a sort of quick, isn't it? It's a quick mallet over the head. But it's it's just so disturbing. It's that crunching sound when the mallet yeah. connects with them. But before that happens, uh, this is so. This was the first. Um, there was a bit of documentary out in the nineties that I would have seen before I saw this film. So the first clip I ever saw of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was this scene where he, where Jerry goes in and he has a noise in the chest freezer, and he opens it, <laughs> and it's um, and Pam is in there, but she's not dead yet. She flops. Yeah, it's the way she flops out of there. It's horrible. But we never see it again, so we assume this is her dying at this point. Yeah. Which, by the way, yeah. I'd rather take the meat hook than frozen to death. Yeah, me too. Me too. Or maybe she's just taken out a bit later and and butchered, and she may well still have been alive then. Yeah. For all, for all the things that have been we've been told so far in the film. <laughs> um, so this is great, isn't it? This is the bit where we see. This is the one I was talking about before about Leatherface, how he's terrifying, but then you see that he's terrified at the same time. And this is the bit where he's like, fuck, these these people keep coming. Yeah. Where are they all coming from? They're, they're destroying our home. This is the thing that broke into his house. Yeah, yeah. So this is where we see him completely freaking out. I guess it's the fear of being found out as well, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. yeah. If the outside world knows too much, you know, everything will be taken away. I kind of feel like it's more like he, he looks genuinely like nervous. Like to me, it reads as like like a child scared that they're going to get caught for what they've done or like, you know, what's going to happen now that this has happened. And he kind of like sits down in the chair with his head in his hands all upset. Mm. And then he starts licking those horrible prosthetic teeth, which is just genius. Mm. Horrible. <laughs> um, 
And so he goes, yeah, but the way he runs to the window and looks out like in terror, thinking who's who's coming next. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sally and Franklin are then, so then it's night, isn't it? We go to night and Sally and Franklin are fighting over that flashlight because Sally wants to go off and find the, the others, whereas Franklin wants to go with her. Yeah. And she's just like, I can't push you down that hill, Franklin, I can't do it. Um, and um, he is really irritating here, but at the same time, you just think, well, you shouldn't have fucking brought him then. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> um, do like by himself while you go off into the forest. But I wouldn't go in the forest by myself. I'd be pushing him with me. Like you're coming with me. Totally, totally. <laughs> and that's what she does in the end. She gives in and, and pushes him through the through the yeah uh, through the forest. Um, and this is where Leatherface leaps out from the from the woods. And starts cutting into Franklin, um, and this is sort of bloody, isn't it? We see a bit of the spray when he's when he's sawing Franklin up. We see it spraying on his apron. Have you heard where the spray came from? Where was it? So, uh, Terry Pooper and I can't remember who it was one of the other producers, I think, or writers, um, sat either side of the wheelchair and spat fake blood out of their mouths onto the. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it's very minimal and kind of all over the place. It seems so he's getting sawn in half by a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is quite minimal. Um, and you don't actually see anything again, do you? It's all shot from behind Franklin's head, so you don't really see the, the chainsaw making any co- sort of connection. But everybody who watches this film thinks that they see something, really, because mm. it's so visceral. This is uh, the first time you get to see Sally wear her lungs out. And- yeah. He's um, one of the best screamers ever. The she one, is. Push back and she's screaming horror as she like runs hands for it. It's amazing. And she runs, doesn't she? She's like trying to get through the thorny bush, and um, she's getting cut to shreds before the chainsaw even touches her. And this is uh, so these this this sort of elongated chase sequence for me is so terrifying because he's always so close to her. He's always right behind her. Um, and she she pays her first of two visits to the house because she runs into the house and ends up um, upstairs and she meets uh, Grandma and Grandpa. Who both look extremely dead at this point, but only one of them is. Yeah, we think they're both corpses, then we propped up in, in the attic room. Um, and then she tries to get away and um, has to jump out of the window, and that's, it's not the last time she jumps out of, that, out of the window either. Um, I'm resourceful of it to jump out of a second story window. I don't think many girls in the horror would do that. Yes, no, she's great. But this is the bit where, um, so the actually, you know, the bit with the jumping through the window was a stunt woman. But she jumped and, and it was like a two meter drop onto a mattress. Whereas Sally had to film landing outside. But to make it more convincing, they made her jump off a scaffolding. So she. So, so she, so the actress Marilyn Burns actually jumped further than the stunt woman and hit her ankle. That's amazing. That is ridiculous. Um, so she jumps out the window and she ends up running through the woods again. So for me, what really struck me watching it this time because of recently we I did we did the thirty one days of horror and we watched tons of slasher movies, um, and we watched um, Scream Two. And Scream 2, I've got a lot of issues with it. I don't think it's a great film. But it's got so many really good set pieces in it and so many good chases. Um, 
But what I noticed watching this was that um, there's a lack of choreography to it. Yeah. So mm. he chases, the, when he chases Sally, he chases her into the house, he chases her out of the house, he chases her back into the house, he chases her out of the house. The, and there's no choreography to it. It all feels really messy and, and not polished. But that makes it so much scarier because it feels like a real thing that's happening. Yeah. Whereas sure. when you watch when you watch a polished chase like in Screen Two or I know he did last summer, um, or any of those sorts of slashes, when the more polished, I feel like the more you watch them, you can see the actresses going through the motions of right, grab this door, doesn't work. Grab that door, doesn't work. Jump through the window. It's like you can see it. You can see the choreography in it. Yeah, fully. Whereas with this, the rawness of it is what makes it stand above those films. And it makes it more suspenseful, doesn't it? Because they they do it so, though it's not choreographed, they do it so well. It, you have you have that terror, that immediacy of the, the the terror of the immediacy of it, don't you? You you really get a sense of she genuinely might not get you might not get away. She may get you. Whereas you, I think you always have that reassuring presence with more choreographed chases that, yeah, it'll be okay in the end. Yeah. Or, or just the feeling like, okay, there we go, there's the kill. Yeah. Um, so the bit, where, the bit where she falls into the gas station, the blood on it is real because she fell on the concrete um, 17 times. They did 17 takes of it, so it was, yeah, so all, all that blood is real. They really put the actors through. I've never even got to the worst bit yet. Oh, I know, I know. So she gets to the gas station and the old man who was there earlier, um, we think he's going to help her. And then we have that really great moment of tension, don't we, where she's sitting there in silence and she's trying to process everything that's happened and then mm. she just starts to notice the meat burning on the grill. Um, and then she's watching that open door and she's constantly waiting for someone to come through it. And you think if Leatherface was literally two minutes ago chasing you, he's out there and the door is wide open. He could come in and get you. Yeah. I like the fact that you hear the Graves Robin story back on the radio behind it as well. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then the old man comes in and, and attacks her with a broom. This is the I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> It's so weird. It's so surreal and funny that he just keeps whacking it, but with the soft end of the broom. Yeah. It is a moment of com- comedy, I have to say, yeah. in the film, and it doesn't distract from it at all, but yeah. um, it is quite comedic in a in a sort of bit of a dark way. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's, it's a deliberately like black comedy film. There's quite a bit of comedy in here. But when he goes up, like, don't worry, with like a big giant human-shaped sack, <laughs> with Sally written on it <laughs> brilliant and then um, she picks up the knife does not do it and he just, he just she just instantly twats it out of her hand and then just whacks her it's so funny I could watch yeah. that forever on yeah. a loop it's, it's sort of awful and great at the same time um, and then he takes her home for dinner mm. um, controversially my least favourite part of the entire film well, for me, it's my least favourite part as well because it's so unrelenting and stressful to hear her screaming constantly. It's possibly the most disturbing bit of the film in a way, but it's for me, it's the least fun to watch. In fact, what I did this time was, for this scene, I switched to the commentary 
So her screaming was lower. Yeah. Um, it's it. However, it's such an interesting scene, though, isn't it? It's probably a little bit too much and a little bit hard to watch even now. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how I feel about it. But it is so effective at what it's meant to be doing. So interestingly, this is where we meet Leatherface in drag as grandma. Yeah. He's I, got an old lady, lady mask on. He's got an apron. <laughs> and a giant wooden spoon. I love it. I think um, he kind of he kind of takes on different roles with his mask stuff, like who yeah. going to be. And like at this point, because there's no woman in the house, he's taking the woman role. Yeah, it's like so into them and interestingly, so life as well because he gets hit by like the dad character. Yeah, yeah. Um, so interestingly, the two masks that he wears now are both female, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so this is where you see that it's sort of playing on the two on two of the anxieties at the time, two things that people were scared of, and one of them was the the sort of underclass or the working class, you know, hick horror, rednecks out in the dust bowl of Texas, and also uh, the, the threat to the nuclear family that was um, the queer sort of revolution as well. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of severe and what seemed to be the normal acceptable version of a family by having a family full of men. And Leatherface yeah. is dressed as a woman to, to fulfill the role. I mean, throughout the film, Leatherface's place is in the kitchen as well. Yeah. yeah. So he's literally he's literally the woman in the family. So this may be like a, a, a reflection of, sort of the, the the feminist and women's lib movement of the, the late 60s, early 70s as well, in terms of, sort of women getting out of the kitchen, supposedly. Yeah, and he's he's been forced into the kitchen, but, you know, it's the association with it being a feminine role. Yeah. He, yeah, he he literally takes on the, the skin and the clothes of women closest to him, or maybe not so close. But then the woman, sorry, the, the only one who doesn't kill out of the family is also referred to as the cook the entire way through. Like that's the only character name you get. So again, it's like almost like the masculine role is the murderer. Yeah. Was, well, the men, the men's, jobs were, the men's jobs were were to go out and kill, weren't they? So they all they all went to the abattoir. So their job was to go out and kill. Um, and mother or grandmother stayed home and cooked and and did the the female role. You know, they got to come home and release some tension with with mother or grandma or whatever. And then, but then because they've lost their jobs, they haven't got that outlet for their rage. That's why they've started killing people and making, and also having to make hens meat. So they save money by making, by getting their own meat from passing, by passing travellers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but someone had, someone had to take the female role on and that that's kind of the cook. That, well, that's like the face's job, isn't it? He'd be literally, where's the, where's the clothes and where's the skin of women? But then he gets into a suit whilst also wearing his um, yeah. woman, which in my book makes him a non-binary icon. There we go. There we go. Non-binary icon. To be fair, though, of all of the um, kind of trans monster killers, in I feel like this is the least offensive out of all of them because I don't feel like it's a reveal. It's not a sort of a joke. It's just yeah. a no one even acknowledges it. 
<laughs> and there's no stupidly long explanation of why he's doing it. It's just like, yeah, now he's wearing a woman's face and what? Like, well, I feel like the, I feel like I feel like the, the demonized the demonized section of society in this film is the poor, isn't it? Really, it's it's the working class. Um, no matter, yeah, no matter what their their uh, gender or what their um, what their orientation is, it's the fact that they they've got no job, they've been thrown to the side, so they're going to make ends meet in another way. Um, and I feel like that's that's the monstrosity in this film is the poor. I think um, I heard on another podcast that interested me was the idea that like before this horror was like foreign, it was in foreign countries like Dracula, and then when it came to America, it was aliens. So it was still like something from the outside coming, and these are one of like the early examples of suddenly it's not something that's from the outside; it's the family, and it's not even just happening to a family; it's the family itself that's the evil thing. Yeah. Um, so Grandpa, he carried Grandpa down on his chair. So Grandpa was played by uh, an 18-year-old called John Duggan. <laughs> and he had a 10-hour makeup job. And after the 10 hours, he says, I'm not doing that again. So they then had to, he basically says, I'm not coming back tomorrow to do this again. So they had to shoot every, every. they had to shoot the whole thing in one go because that was all they had him for. Um, so they did a 27-hour shoot. Um, what was it? 114 Fahrenheit, something stupid. It was 40, I think I've translated it to like 46 degrees heat. Yeah, yeah, it was the hottest point of the day, and they had to put uh, obviously they had to put uh, blackouts up to make it look like night, so they were all trapped in there in that heat for 27 hours. Um, and apparently he was a real pain in the ass. Whenever they, when they were carrying him down, down the stairs to the dinner scene, the actor kept going limp and sliding out of his chair, so they had to do it again. Oh, an no. um, They had a room full of head cheese, so that kept that basically got more and more stagnant as the day went on. Yeah. And they were all cooked on the table in front of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that those lamps that were made of skulls, um, they were they were they were lighting on fire because it was so hot, and the smell of that as well. So the the smell of that combined with the smell of Gunnar Hansen, who had to wear that suit for a month, um, meant that the cast had to keep going outside and vomiting. Yeah, oh. the only person the window out of the window. Yeah, the only person. The only person who couldn't was Gunnar Hansen because he couldn't take the mask off. So he had to go outside, but then he still couldn't get any fresh air through the mask. Um, yeah. So, um, so that is intense. Yeah. So this is the moment. Stephen, do you know the story about Sally's finger? Yeah. I, yeah, I, to I want it to be real. And I think it is real because I've not seen it like called out anywhere, but I think, no, that can't happen. You can't do it that. Did. It did. Yeah, they talk about it on the commentary as well. So bad. <laughs> Go on, tell the story. So, um, the scene where Sally is meant to get her finger bled so Grandpa could drink the blood and kind of he comes back to life in that moment. It's very vampire. Um, they couldn't get like the blood bag to like actually open up and bleed properly. So the actor was like, I'm fucking done. The man actor who's cutting her 
He's like, I'm gonna, I can't do this anymore. So he turned away and took the like the tape off the blade he was using and literally cut her finger open. No. And let the blood drip into his mouth. So when she's so this is like eighteen hours into the shoot. So when she then re- realized what had happened, she screamed. Um, Toby Hooper was like, "Oh wow, she's really good." <laughs> they <didn't> realize, <laughs> so they just kept rolling. <laughs> That's so bad. Like I can't believe that. Well, he says Gunnar Hansen says doesn't he that by this point they were all so crazy with the heat and exhaustion. He said that he had moments in his brain where he was. He thought I've got to kill this girl, so he didn't know what was what was real and what was what was acting. Yeah. I think that's such a I think that's such a seventies sixties, yeah, filmmaking moment that you just you just think, oh fuck it, let's just let's cut her for real. Yeah, yeah I know, I know. <laughs> Leatherface now has another face, which is another female one. Which um, the actor kept adding more makeup to, so that's why the, the lips get more and more red as it goes along. Um, My kind of guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So another another non-binary moment for Leatherface here, and um, I love the bit where Leatherface is playing with Sally's hair because mm-hmm. it completely tells you this isn't a sexual assault. This is him saying, "I can't wait to wear this." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's thinking she's like a doll and a dress up box all at the same time. It's but L'Oreal. I deserve this. <laughs> L'Oreal. <laughs> um, a film of its time, it's completely like asexual. I think, like, the way at least the villains are, there's no sexual depravity there at all. It's just meat and food. Yeah, there's no sexual threat considering the amount of sexual threat in the remake. There's none in this, really. Yeah. And then the sequel yeah. with the chainsaw. But oh, in yes. this one, no. Yeah. Um, so they try to get Grandpa to hit it over the head, don't they? But his, his, his wrist is too limp. He can't actually hold yeah. the mallet. And this is so she takes the opportunity. And this is where she jumps out the window again. And um, I think this is the moment where, she, where Marilyn Burns hurt her foot. So that's why she's limping. Um, and we get that great shit bit with the, the, the hitchhiker and Leatherface both chasing her down the road mm. and the hitchhiker runs in front of a lorry. Yes. <laughs> and they, they that like just shooting it in reverse, which I just think is such a clever little easy way. Yeah. It looks really horrible when it gets crushed by under the wheels. And then... Um, that the moment lorry... just before is all, almost a slightly comic moment. You could, It's almost like a... It's almost like a um, a glimpse of Benny Hill sketch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> them running around. Just you just have a vision of them running around and around that vehicle for for hours. Yeah, totally. And then you'd be thinking that we thought the lorry driver's gonna be here to escape, but he just doesn't run away. He gets out and runs away. Uh, he does. Right, he gets out to go see an okay. Sees the left face and goes, fuck this. Gets back at the van. He then hits him with a wrench, like throws the wrench at him, which causes the left face to cut his own leg. Yeah. And he just yeets out of the fucking place by himself. And we never see him again. We don't know what happened to him. Where the fuck did he go? I know. I know. He's still running across Texas. 
And then I pick up truck comes along and that's Sally's escape, isn't it? So she mm. jumps in the back and uh, drives off to, to safety and she sort of completely loses it and starts like laughing hysterically and maniacally. They do a really good job of like, even when I watch it now, I still think, oh, is she going to run away? Is she not? Like that, like the buildup of the how close it is feels real. You yeah. really want to just fucking get away. Yeah. yeah. And then the last shot is um, that famous um, chainsaw dance, isn't it? Chainsaw ballet as um, the sun's coming up behind them. Mm-hmm. They're swinging around. It's just beautiful. Everything towards the end is just perfect again. And yeah, you're, it's only on for like an hour and 20 minutes, but I feel like you're sort of exhausted when it finishes. Yeah, you are. I'm, I'm sort of glad that it's only, it's that compact, but it doesn't, but you don't feel shortchanged no, by it in all. any sense at all, do you? I mean, this does go down in the annals of American history, totally. <laughs> 100%. I think it's quite possibly the, maybe my favourite film, horror film, okay. maybe. I think actually Pipping Scream. It's better than Scream for you. I think so. Well, it I is. It is. Realistically. <laughs> yeah. I think I have my nostalgia with um with Scream, but I yeah. think part of me in reality knows that this is the better film and I like it more. And I like it's, it. it's, it's so pure. Enough. It's such a pure horror film, isn't it? Yeah. Doesn't I enjoy know. Scream, but I don't, for me, Scream doesn't come anywhere near this. No, definitely not. It's a great film. Um, so uh, just briefly, we I, I managed to squeeze in a little watch of the 2003 remake as well. Did you, Stephen? Yeah, I watched it. Did you, Martin? No, 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 I haven't seen it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's worth it. I mean, as remakes go, it's a solid film, I think. Mm. It's really good. It's a lot just straight up darker. Yeah. And um, like dark as in there's no real comedy moments in there. Instead of the hitchhiker being the one of the Sawyer family, it's a girl who survived, who then pulls a pistol out of her vagina and shoots herself in the mouth. <laughs> and yes. the camera dollies back out of the car through the wounds in her mouth and out into the room behind the car while you see everyone react screaming. Yeah, it is. It's it's got great. It's got some great moments. It's got a really uh, sexy male cast as well. It's quite homoerotic. Um, The lads are basically always sweating, which is great. Um, But also Jessica Biel quite good, isn't she? As the as the heroine, she's really good. I like her. She's got more personality than Sally does. Like what I find what I find strange is that. Sort of for the I'd say seventy to eighty percent of the film is totally different to the source material, so it could have actually just been a sequel. Yeah, I actually thought it was a sequel when I was rewatching it this time because I thought yeah. that they were talking that was the old crime and then this was the modern day, especially yeah. because they do a very good job of styling them like they were from the seventies. Like the, uh, yeah, I thought it didn't look seventies at all. I, th- I feel like thousands with those um like, yeah. With those low rise jeans and Jessica Beale. Mm. Jessica I'm Beale and a white vest and stuff. I'm assuming the other sort of sequels and prequels like Texas Chainsaw Mask 2 and Leatherface and 
the next generation are of, of varying quality. Uh, yeah. They're all absolutely awful, except for maybe two, but then that depends on your taste. Yeah, two, two's got a bit of a cult following, uh, and Toby Hooper did direct that as well. Um, but that that is definitely more comedy than the original. Right. It's more, it's more surreal comedy. comedy. Bigger budget, but um, I thought, I went into a thing that was going to be great from the way a lot of people who I talked to on Twitter had described it, but I didn't love it. I found it a bit annoying. Um, I like it, but I don't love it. Yeah. I think I'm just going to stick to the original, and I'll give the I'll give the re the 2003 remake again. I'll, yeah, I'll leave it complete. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's funny because Texas Chainsaw has become such an icon of horror, and Leatherface is as big as Freddy and Jason and Michael mm-hmm. Myers, but it, it the sequels don't stand up the way the sequels to the other films do. Yeah. As, as a franchise, it doesn't hang together the way the others do for no. me. Can I two the things from the sequel that I've got yeah. were fun? Um, the, they have a scene where they go into the locker and there's a noise coming from it and they're a bit like worried about what it's going to be. And then they oh, yeah. and there's a possum in there. Oh, yeah. Rabbit possum. But they couldn't, they had to reshoot it about 50 times because every time they opened the door, the possum was just really cute and he wouldn't be scary for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> horrible. Genuinely made me so happy. Um, <laughs> but also, the guy who plays um, Leatherface, Andrew Brzezinski, I'm not going to say that, but that guy, did you hear about his feud with Gunnar Hansen? No. So they did get on at first, but then around the 3D remake version of oh, yeah. it, the. Um, Gunnar Hansen apparently started slagging him off all the time. And even in the commentary for that, he, um, he's talking about how he was a better at, at door slamming than what Andrew was. <laughs> and he actually <laughs> in the commentary. Um, then he was at like all the cons talking shit about him, apparently. Wow. So he visibly began a feud. And then when Gunnar Hansen died, this guy tweeted out, boo hoo. <laughs> that is low. And then people called him out on it, and he said, "I could give zero fuck. Zero fucks. Go suck his dead nuts." Wow! Like what the fuck? That's unbelievable. That's that's so classy. <laughs> wow, Jesus. that's a bit depressing, really, isn't it? But mm, also, yeah, funny. <laughs> it's funny though. It is funny. Um, but yeah, I'd recommend the I'd recommend the remake um, on a on a um, aesthetic level. It's it's quite jumpy and scary in parts as well. It's got that sort of shitty seventies filter that like Rob Zombie uses, and it just mm-hmm. looks it looks like it's from the seventies. It just looks like a music video from the noughties. Um But it's still good. It does a lot more violence. There's a lot more sexual threats and sexual violence in it as well, I thought, which is well, a bit weird. It's the first oh. major remake of any of the like classics. Mm. It came before any of the like Halloween remake or the Nightmare and Street remakes. And it also predates like Hostel and Saw, but it's so yeah. fucking gruesome. I just think it must have been very shocking for people at that time to see that. Yeah. 
it's yeah, it's definitely not like a sanitized remake. It's, mm. it's it goes for the grit. So yeah, I'd recommend it, and also the Hot Boys as well. Very much. Although I still stand Kirk. So Kirk, yeah, you can't beat Kirk. Well, if you enjoyed that and you want to give us any feedback, then you can get me on Twitter at Johnny Larkin. Stephen? Um, well, I'm actually not on Twitter at the moment, but I hate yeah. making on. I'm having a Twitter break. Yeah. I'm having a Twitter break. Okay. And Martin, where can we get you? I'll be in the gas station having some barbecue. See you, boys. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Texaco refinery near the Texas-Louisiana border. Three storage units exploded into flames during the night, killing at least three workers and injuring a dozen more. Firefighting units from three Texas cities continue to battle the Holocaust effort to confine 44 planes. Smoke from the fire is visible to Houston residents some 60 miles to the south. Health officials in San Francisco reluctantly admit they may have a cholera epidemic on their hands. Some 40 cases of the highly infectious disease have been confirmed. It's believed that emergency thus far authorities is responsible for the spread of the disease. Houston police are puzzled over an outbreak of violence apparently touched off by a suicide. A young man, reportedly angered by a local television blackout of a sports event, jumped from the 10th story window of his apartment. A second man, allegedly threatened to leave to his death from the same window, but was restrained by police. Witnesses to the incident reported the urgent man to jump 